Chapter Twenty Seven of the Precipice. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Precipice by Elia Wilkinson Peaty. Chapter Twenty Seven. It had been a busy day for Honora. She had been superintending the house cleaning and taking rather an aggressive part in it herself. She rejoiced that her strength had come back to her and she felt a keen satisfaction in putting it forth in the service of the man who had taken her into community of interests with him when as she had once put it she was bankrupted of all that had made her think herself rich moreover she loved the roomy bare house with its uncurtained windows facing the mountains and revealing the spectacles of the day and night because of them she had learned to make the most of her sleepless hours the slow majestic procession in the heavens the hours of tumult when the moon struggled through the troubled sky the dawns with their swift wide-spreading clarity were the finest diversions she had ever known she remembered how in the old days she and david had patronized the unspeakably puerile musical comedies under the impression that they rested them now she was able to imagine nothing more fatiguing they had an early supper, for Carl was leaving for a day or two in Denver, and had to be driven ten miles to the station. He was unusually silent, and Honora was well pleased that he should be so, for though she had kept herself so busily occupied all day, she had not been able to rid herself of the feeling that a storm of memories was waiting to burst upon her. The feeling had grown as the hours of the day went on, and she at once dreaded and longed for the solitude she would have when Carl was gone. She was relieved to find that the little girls were weary and quite ready for their beds. She watched Carl drive away, standing at the door for a few moments till she heard his clear voice calling a last good-bye as the station wagon swept around the pinion grove. Then she locked the house and went to her own room. A fire had been laid for her, and she touched a match to the kindling, lighted her lamp, and took up some sewing. But she found herself too weary to sew, and moreover, this assailant of recollection was upon her again. She had once seen the northern lights, when the many-hued glory seemed to be poured from vast, invisible pitchers, till it spread over the floor of heaven and spilled earthward. Her memories had come upon her like that then she faced the fact that she had been trying all day not to recognize it was david's birthday she admitted it now and even had the courage to go back over the ways they had celebrated the day in former years at first she held to the old idea that these recollections made her suffer but presently she perceived that it was not so had her help come from the hills as carl had told her it would she sat so still that she could hear the ashes falling in the fireplace, so still that the ticking of her watch on the dressing-table teased her ears. She seemed to be listening for something, for something beautiful and solemn, and by and by the thing she had been waiting for came. It swept into the house as if all the doors and windows had been thrown wide to receive it. It was invisible as the wind, as scentless as a star as complete as birth or death it was peace or forgiveness or in a white way perhaps it was love suddenly she sprang to her feet david she cried david oh i believe i understand 
she went to her desk and as if she were compelled began to write afterward she found she had written this dear david it is your birthday and i who am so used to sending you a present cannot be deterred now o david my husband you who fathered my children you who in spite of all belong to me let me tell you how i have at last come out of the storm of angers and torments of the past year into a sheltered room where you seem to sit waiting to hear me say i forgive you that is my present to you my forgiveness take it from me with lifted hands as if it were a sacrament feed on it for it is holy bread now we shall both be at peace shall we not you will forgive me too for all i did not do we are willful children all of us and night overtakes us before we have half learned our lessons oh david she broke off suddenly something cold seemed to envelop her cold as a crevasse and black as death she gave a strangled cry wrenched the collar from her throat fighting in vain against the mounting waves that overwhelmed her long afterward she shuddered up out of her unconsciousness the fire had burned itself out the lamp was sputtering for lack of oil somewhere in the distance a coyote called she was dripping with cold sweat and had hardly strength to find the thing that would warm her and to get off her clothes and creep into bed at first she was afraid to put out the light it seemed as if should she do so the very form and substance of terror would come and grip her but after a time slowly wave upon wave the sea of peace rolled over her submerging her she reached out then and extinguished the light and let herself sink down down through the obliterating waters of sleep waters as deep as cold as protecting as the sea into the eternal arms she breathed not knowing why but when she awakened the next morning in response to the punctual gong she remembered that she had said that into the eternal arms she came down to breakfast with the face of one who has eaten of the sacred bread of the spirit the next two days passed vaguely a gray veil appeared to hang between her and the realities and she had the effect of merely going through the motions of life the children caused her no trouble they were indeed the most normal of children and mrs hayes their old-time nurse had reduced their days to an agreeable system honora derived that peculiar delight from them which a mother may have when she is not obliged to be the bodily servitor and constant attendant of her children she was able to feel the poetry of their childhood seeing them as she did at fortunate and picturesque moments and though their lives were literally braided into her own were the gold threads in her otherwise dun fabric of existence she was thankful that she did not have the task of caring for them it would have been torture to have been tied to their small needs all day and every day she liked far better the heavier work she did about the house her long walks her rides to town and when carl was away her supervision of the ranch above all there was her work at the village she could return from that to the children for refreshment and for spiritual illumination in the purity of their eyes in the liquid sweetness of their voices in their adorable grace and caprice 
there was a healing force beyond her power to compute during these days however her pleasure in them was dim though sweet she had been through a mystic experience which left a profound influence upon her and she was too much under the spell of it even to make an effort to shake it off she slept lightly and woke often to peer into the velvet blackness of the night and to listen to the deep silence she was one who stands apart the viewer of some tremendous but uncomprehended event the third day she sent the horses for carl and as twilight neared he came driving home she heard his approach and threw open the door for him he saw her with a halo of light about her curiously enlarged and glorified and came slowly and heavily toward her holding out both hands at first she thought he was ill but as his hands grasped hers she saw that he was not bringing a personal sorrow to her but a brotherly compassion and then she knew that something had happened to david she read his mind so far almost as if it had been a printed page and she must have read further perhaps if she had waited but she cried out what is it you've news of david yes he said come in you've seen the papers he asked when they were within the house she shook her head i haven't sent over for the mail since you left carl i seem to like the silence there's silence enough in all patience he cried sixteen hundred voices have ceased i don't understand the cyclops has gone down a new ship the largest on the sea why that seems impossible not when there are icebergs floating off the banks and when the bergs carry submerged knives of ice one of them gored the ship it was fatal how terrible for a second space she had forgotten the possible application to her then the knowledge came rushing back upon her she put her hands over her heart with the gesture of one wounded david she gasped carl nodded he was on it with mary they were coming back to america he had been given the norden prize as you know the prize you earned for him i think he was to take a position in some eastern university he and mary had gone to their room the paper says when the shock came they ran out together half-dressed and mary asked a steward if there was anything the matter yes madam he said quietly just like that i believe we are sinking you'll read all about it there in those papers mary was interviewed well they lowered the boats there were enough for about a third of the passengers they had made every provision for luxury but not nearly enough for safety the men helped the women into the boats and sent them away then they sat down together folded their arms and died like gentlemen with the good musicians heartening them with their music to the last the captain went down with his ship of course all of the officers did that almost all of the men did it too it was very gallant in its terrible way and david was among the most gallant the papers mention him particularly he worked till the last helping the others off and then he sat down and waited for the end honora turned on her cousin a face in which all the candles of her soul were lit oh carl how wonderful how beautiful he said nothing for amazement 
In that half hour, she went on, speaking with such swiftness that he could hardly follow her, all his thoughts streamed off across the miles of sea and land to me. I felt the warmth of them all about me. It was myself he was thinking of. He came back to me, his wife. I was alone, waiting for something I couldn't tell what. Then I remembered it was his birthday, and that I should be sending him a gift. So I sent him my forgiveness. I wrote a letter, but for some reason I have not sent it. It is here, the letter. She drew it from her bosom. See the date and the hour is upon it. Read it. Carl arose and held the letter in a shaking hand. He made a calculation. The moments correspond, he said. You are right. His spirit sought yours. And then the... the drowning, Carl. I felt it all, but I could not understand. I died and was dead for a long time, but I came up again to live. Only since then, life has been very curious. I have felt like a ghost that missed its grave. I've been walking around pretending to live, but really half hearing and half seeing, and waiting for you to come back and explain. I have explained, said Carl with infinite gentleness. Mary is saved. She was taken up with others by the Urbania, and friends are caring for her in New York. She gave a very lucid interview, a feeling one, too. She lives, but the man she ruined went down for her sake. No, said Honora, he went down for my sake. He went down for the sake of his ideals, and his ideals were mine. Oh, how beautiful that I have forgiven him, and how wonderful that he knew it, and that I... She spoke as one to whom a great happiness had come. Then she wavered, reached out, groping hands, and fell forward in Carl's arms. For days she lay in bed. She had no desire to arise. She seemed to dread interruption to her passionate drama of emotion, in which sorrow and joy were combined in indeterminate parts. From her window she could see the snow-capped peaks of the Williston Range rising with immortal and changeful beauty, into the purple heavens. As she watched them with incurious eyes, marking them in the first light of the day when their iridescence made them seem as impalpable as a dream of heaven, eyeing them in the noon height when their sides were the hue of ruddy granite, watching them at sunset when they faded from swimming gold to rose, from rose to purple, they seemed less like mountains than like those fair and fatal bergs of the northern Atlantic. She had read of them, though she had not seen them. She knew how they slewed from the inexhaustible ice-cap of Greenland's bleak continent, and marched, stately as an army, down the mighty plain of the ocean. Fair beyond word were they, with jeweled crevices and mother-of-pearl changefulness, indomitable, treacherous, menacing. Honora, closing her weary eyes, still saw them sailing, sailing, white as angels, radiant as dawn, changing, changing, lovely and cold as death. Mind and gaze were fixed upon their enchantment. She would not think of certain other things, of that incredible catastrophe, that rent ship crashing to its doom, of that vast company tossed upon the sea, 
of those cries in the dark no she shut her eyes and her ears to those things they seemed to be the servitors at the doors of madness and she let them crook their fingers at her in vain now and then when she was not on guard they swarmed upon her whispering stories of black struggle of heart-breaking separation of mother and child of husband and wife sometimes they told her how mary so luxurious so smiling so avid of warmth and food and kisses had shivered in the bleak wind as she sat coatless torn from david's sheltering embrace they had given her elfish reminders of how soft how pink how perfumed was that woman's tender flesh then as she looked the blue eyes glazed with agony the supple body grew rigid with cold and down down through miles of water sank the man they both had loved no no it was better to watch the bergs those glistening fair white ships of death yes there from the window she seemed to see them how the sun glorified them was the sun setting then had there been another day tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow darkness was falling but even in the darkness she saw the ice ships slipping down from the great frozen waste along the glacial river past the bleak lisiere into the bitter sea and on down down to meet that other ship that ship bearing its mighty burden of living men and to break it in unequal combat oh could she never sleep would those white ships never reach port did she hear carl say he had telegraphed for kate barrington but what did it matter neither kate nor carl strong and kind as they were could stem the tide that bore those ships along the never quiet seas End of chapter twenty seven